0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, we'll take a look at the coming changes to Arizona's political landscape from Christopher Conover. Visit Camp Bravo, a tent city providing homeless veterans with the kind of help that's hard to come by and find out how efforts to improve Tucson's struggling neighborhoods can start with a vegetable garden on Feeding Our Future. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. And first today, I'm joined by Christopher Conover. Christopher, last week we talked about the expectations for a very high voter turnout. Some people were saying around 80 percent, but what actually happened?
1: We had a high voter turnout. It looks like in the end it'll be closer to 75 percent, which is actually in line with other presidential years as we go and look back at history. So not the 80 percent people were expecting, but still much higher than other elections. Off-year elections often are in the 30 percent range range. Latinos did turn out in big numbers, but once again, not the big numbers that a lot of people were hoping for or were expecting. So it still is a bit of the sleeping giant, as a lot of people call it.
0: Results are still being counted across the state, and final results in Pima County may not be known until next week. But do we see any signs of change in the state legislature?
1: The state Senate was something that wasn't exactly up for grabs, but Democrats were hoping to pick up enough seats to make it potentially a 15-15 tie. It looks like that won't happen. There is one race in the Phoenix area, a Republican Kate Brophy McGee versus Democrat uh, Eric Meyer. They're both coming out of the House. It's a, a uh, open seat. It looks like right now that uh, Kate Brophy McGee, the Republican, will win that race, but it is very close. It's within a point. Uh, But it looks like the Republicans will hold that seat. So the Democrats will pick up a couple of seats, but it won't end up as the 15-15 tie that a lot of people were expecting.
0: Well, John McCain and Martha McSally both got their reelections with wide margins. What about CD1?
1: The first congressional district uh, was an open seat because Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick is or was running against uh, John McCain. So the seat was open. Tom O'Halloran, the Democrat in that race, won and won fairly easily. He beat Paul Babu, who most people know as the Pinal County Sheriff. He's a border hawk, conservative Republican Uh, campaigned with Donald Trump, and in the end, that played well in Pima County, the part of the district that comes into Pima County. Babu easily won, but through the rest of the district, it did not play so well, and Tom O'Halloran will now go to Congress, and that seat will remain in Democratic control.
0: Sheriff Joe Arpaio's defeat got some national attention, but what else went on with sheriffs
1: in Arizona? We have three new sheriffs. Pinal County Sheriff Paul Babu was running for Congress, still a Republican in Pinal County. As you mentioned, Joe Arpaio lost to a Democrat, and here in Pima County, Chris Nanos, who was a Democrat and appointed by Clarence Dupnik when Dupnik retired uh, about 18 months ago, he lost his first election to Republican Mark Napier. So for the first time in a long time, Maricopa County has a Democratic sheriff and Pima County has a Republican sheriff.
0: Looking at local politics, Supervisor Sharon Bronson retained her seat on the Pima County Board. Is this good news for Pima County Administrator Chuck Huckleberry?
1: That is good news for Mr. Huckleberry because with Supervisor Bronson retaining her seat, the Democrats maintain control of the Pima County Board of Supervisors. The administrator is an appointed position. And the Democrats like Mr. Huckleberry. The Republicans spent a lot of time this election season basically running against Mr. Huckleberry, even though he's not elected. So if Sharon Bronson had lost that seat, the Republicans would have taken control of the Pima County Board of Supervisors. And most of them told me their first job was going to be to oust Mr. Huckleberry. As a result of uh, Sharon Bronson winning, he most likely keeps his job.
0: Approximately how many uncounted ballots remain in Arizona?
1: There are hundreds of thousands of uncounted ballots that are still being processed by the various counties at this
0: point. And will this affect any of the results? Uh, For instance, Proposition 206, to raise the minimum wage passed easily, but so far Prop 205 is considered to have failed.
1: Those results shouldn't change. The numbers might tighten a little, they might widen a little with the ballots that are left. There are, as we said, hundreds of thousands of ballots statewide that need to be counted. On the local level, there are some legislative races that are very close that it could change the outcome for, and that's true all over the state.
0: It seems to me that there was a bit of hype before this election, that this was going to be a big shakeup, voter turnout was going to be huge, and that was going to be reflected in some big changes. Um, Now that the dust is starting to settle from Tuesday, what's your opinion on this?
1: Overall, people said, oh, Arizona could go blue this time and vote for Hillary Clinton. We know, of course, that that didn't happen, but it was very close, especially for Arizona standards. The difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton was only about four points. It was not so wide as it has been in years past.
0: On this Veterans Day, it's estimated that 22 American vets take their own lives each day. Tens of thousands are homeless on any given night. Many survivors of war grapple with mental and physical injury, addiction, and isolation. On a dirt lot, just south of downtown Tucson, is Camp Bravo, a place where homeless vets are sheltered, nourished, and protected. It's a military-style encampment run by volunteers, all ex-military. Producer Mitchell Riley spent some time with the folks who live there.
2: It's a cool morning, late October. People in these tents begin to rise. A passing train, their wake-up call. This is Camp Bravo, next to Santa Rita Park on Tucson's south side, a place where homeless vets and others can find comfort, food, and shelter. The camp is run by Veterans on Patrol, a program of Walking for the Forgotten Ministries. Leaders of this effort seek out homeless vets and offer safe haven, camaraderie, and a path to support services.
3: Atlantic,
2: Bravo is patrolled round the clock in shifts.
3: Atlantic, Pacific, Ocean.
4: My name is Martin Marzalek. Everybody here calls me Doc. I am the base commander and chief medical officer. So. I kinda keep things rolling along here. I actually went in as a voice radio operator, but when they found out that I had some pretty extensive medical background, they uh, made me an expert field medic. I jumped out of a perfectly good aircraft with a medical bag and tried to attend to folks that needed help. This is for your immune system. My military training, my medical training, I apply every bit of it here on a daily basis. That's magnesium and C coming up. <laughs> Keep you from catching a cold. <laughs> Our mission is to go out and find as many homeless veterans that we can possibly locate, bring them in, you know, try to transition them from homelessness to housing, get them medical care, things that they've been doing without for so many years. I'll have to get the make and model of this thing, give the VA a call.
2: Doc helps a Bravo resident with his wheelchair. His name is Taze Ben-Otten. He's 55 years old, an Air Force vet, and he's been homeless for more than two years.
5: We have something here that I've never found anywhere else. We have a VA navigator, somebody who knows the system, knows who to talk to, knows who to call if you don't get what you need, and he does it for us, and that's Doc. He's just the best there is.
4: I'll I'll call a couple of the mobility places here and see if we can get some spare parts for that one. At least I can get around. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Breakfast is underway in the mess tent. You
4: know, scrambled eggs and bacon, they should be happy.
2: Camp Bravo, (laughs) officially known as Bravo Base, is one of several in Arizona, including Camp Alpha in Phoenix, Charlie in Nogales, and Delta, south of Prescott. The portable toilets are donated and maintained by Diggins Environmental Services the land, water, and electricity by HMS Fasteners. Both are local companies sympathetic to their cause. Food, clothing, and other supplies are donated by the public.
4: We've got a lot of really good people out there that are helping us out and keeping us going here.
2: There are around 20 residents on base, mostly vets and a few civilians.
4: Um, I try to keep it around 16, but we kind of had a little influx of extra homeless veterans.
2: Some move on and others take their place.
4: You can't turn them away, I can't turn them away.
2: Manny Jimenez is 66 years old and has been homeless for more than a year. I'm a Native
3: American and, and every uh, Native American needs to do his wartime. So that's what I did, I joined his service.
2: He's been here at Bravo for several months. He joined the Navy at age 18
3: Four years on the USS Pocatoc, an attack oiler. That's a tanker with pom pom guns, great against jets. Three more years merchant marines. I'm an old merchant seaman, drying up in Arizona.
2: Three times a week, Manny travels to the VA on South Sixth Avenue for treatment.
3: My uh, liver and kidneys are not doing what they're supposed to do they hook up the dialysis to it and clean out my blood and return it to me.
2: Manny lifts his shirt and shows the catheter in his chest used for dialysis.
3: This, uh, this side got infected so I had to move it that side. It's a lube job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Another train passes.
4: That There is still A fair amount of drug abuse in the park, you know, heroin, methamphetamine, that doesn't come over here.
2: To live here, there are eight rules they must follow, including no drugs, no alcohol, and no smoking in tents.
4: The third rule is residents need to help around the base on a daily basis. There's just tons of stuff buried down here.
2: One way they are helping is by maintaining nearby property. Here, they fill plastic bags with trash and debris from a trackside ravine.
4: Well, I haven't found any needles or anything yet, so that's a good thing. They work to stay here. They, you know, they all have various job tasks assigned to them.
2: Through donations from the public, they have enough supplies to share with folks outside the camp, and they do every day.
4: A little snack food in there. There's some peanut butter, some ravioli, good stuff like that. We love that stuff. Thank you. Hey, you're very welcome. You guys take care out there. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Okay. Any anybody that needs food can come here and get it. There you go. That looks right now we're like preparing it. roughly 200 food boxes a week. It's hot. Be careful.
5: Green
4: <laughs> chicken. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, thank you for bringing him over. Bring me
2: in. What began with just a few tents more than a year ago has grown both in size and organization. Camp Bravo has become a refuge for many, but memories of life without shelter or protection are close.
4: For me, it was daily uncertainty. Not knowing where you're gonna get your next meal, not knowing where you're gonna spend the night the next night, where it's gonna be safe. Not knowing if somebody's gonna come up and club you in the head while you're sleeping and steal what little bit of belongings you have.
3: I was picked up by two really big people and put in an alley, and they tried to cut my throat. And the most closest they got it was my chin. I kept putting my chin down so I couldn't get my throat. Somebody from one of the apartment houses called the cops because they saw what was happening. And the cops showed up just in time. I thought that was the end of me.
5: <laughs> it hurt my pride first time I had to fly sign and beg. I think the biggest challenge is the guy who yells, get a job. You know, um, the people who just don't see you. You feel invisible, and that's the most forward thing in the world, It's just not to be recognized, not to be
3: acknowledged. People don't want to see it,
5: you know? We want to pretend it doesn't exist.
3: (sighs) Wow. Nothing that I'm proud of, I'll tell you that. I wasn't raised that way. Had to eat out a donkey. Eating out at dumpsters is not something you like to tell people.
2: I can't talk about it. These are just some of the people who live at Camp Bravo. In time, new faces will arrive with different stories, but common needs.
3: A lot of homeless veterans really need places like this.
4: Well, I think this this mission is just life saving. And, and in that, it's life changing for a lot of people.
3: I hope places like Camp Bravo will open up in different places throughout the country.
4: If people don't band together and help each other, then then it takes out away all of our humanity and, and there's always someone out there you can help.
5: You see somebody who's homeless out there, he's not necessarily an addict or a drunk. (laughs) He's a brother, a sister. He's you if you lose your job.
2: For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mitchell Riley.
0: You can see a version of the story you just heard at azpm.org. Now the eighth episode of the nine-part spotlight series, Feeding Our Future. It explores the innovative work being done to feed families, prepare for climate change, improve health, create pathways out of poverty, and promote our local food system. The series is made possible with the support of the Zuckerman Family Foundation. In Tucson's poorest barrios, community activists have been teaching their neighbors how to grow backyard gardens and harvest rainwater. But in the process, they're also teaching people to step up as leaders, to make healthy choices, and transform their own neighborhoods. Laura Markowitz has the story.
6: Some people wake up saying, what do I want to eat today? And then some people wake up like, what can I eat today?
7: That's Claudio Rodriguez. He just finished teaching a group of elementary school kids about composting. He works for the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona as a school garden coordinator.
6: So, uh, they're popping balloons. So we are in, the, we are in the South Tucson, but we're pretty safe.
7: He's only half-joking about the balloons sounding like gunshots. In his life, he's seen a lot of violence.
6: In middle school, I started learning about gangs and drugs, and in high school, I was initiated into a gang.
7: Rodriguez is from Barrio Los Niños. It's south of Davis-Monthan Air Force Base.
6: I learned how to sell drugs. I learned how to use guns.
7: His best friend was stabbed 23 times by a rival gang member. He died in Rodriguez's arms, 18
6: years old. His name was Tomas Luna. He'd say, like, you know, you're really smart, Claudio. You know, you should go to school. So Rodriguez enrolled at Pima Community College.
7: He connected with the Chicano student group, MECHA. He started reading and learning
6: more about colonization and oppression. Some homegirl invited me, she's a... Come to this garden. We're gonna we're gonna plant and stuff. And I said, okay.
7: And that's how he discovered Tierra y Libertad. It's a grassroots community organization in South Tucson. It changed his life.
6: Tierra y Libertad means land and freedom, and it's actually a really old war cry from the 1910 Revolution, the Mexican Revolution.
7: So he goes to check out this group, and it's in a house on South Seventh.
6: I was expecting to see fruit trees, chickens, ducks, tomatoes, but when I got there, there was nothing but a dirt lot. And I asked one of the lead organizers, I said, so where's this garden at? Are we gonna walk to it or, or what, you know? He said, we're gonna build it. And I said, what? I thought he was crazy. So every Saturday, I started coming back. They had little workshops on composting, little workshops on like site design. So that farming and that water harvesting course and all of that, what it really is, is a leadership course through popular education.
7: Cesar Lopez was an early member of Tierra y Libertad.
6: Popular education means exactly that. The people, el pueblo, uh, training people how to grow food in the
0: desert, harvesting water.
7: He learned about popular education from work in clinics in South Tucson and from the Zapatistas in Mexico.
1: In this present day, we have a lot of our community members that suffer. Maybe it's because they don't have the right paperwork to be in this country, the right paperwork
0: to work a dignified job. Maybe it's because there actually is no opportunities. So popular education moves us to confront that, to change it within ourselves, change it systemically as well, to change their communities into better places.
6: One day, Cesar comes up to me and he says, hey, uh, do you want a a job in the summer? And I say, "Hell yeah, I want a job in the summer, you know, like, what else am I going to do, you know?
7: They called it Freedom Summer. Lopez taught a group of young people the basics of public health.
6: We learned about how to community organize, how to eat healthy, sex ed, drug abuse, you know, harm reduction.
7: Then those young people went into the community, and they taught it to others.
6: It saved my life. Eventually, it landed me a job.
7: With the community food bank.
6: I get to work with kids, you know who are in the situation I was, or I know are going to end up in a situation that I was. So at least I can like influence them a little bit with, you know, like grow your own food, you know, sell your tomatoes so you don't have to sell anything else.
7: He's now the lead organizer for The Collective. It's nine years later and that dirt lot in South Tucson is a flourishing garden with a greenhouse and aquaponics. But Tierra y Libertad has always been about more than just food. It's about teaching people like Claudio Rodriguez how to create positive transformations in their communities. Tierra y Libertad organized the Wakefield neighborhood to fight against new liquor licenses. It runs a migrant protection network and legal fund. Rodriguez is excited about a plan to distribute fresh organic produce to seniors in the neighborhood.
6: We have a food truck called La Troquita And the hopes of that is to be able to have enough people grow enough food that we can drive around just the same way that the ice cream man drives around. Distributing ice cream and sugar and all that, we want to do the same, but for vegetables.
8: My name is Jesus Romero, but I go by Tito. Tierra Libertad, they were really, really inspiring for me as a young man.
7: He co-founded a collective in his own neighborhood. It's called Flowers and Bullets.
8: Flowers and Bullets, a duality that we live here in these neighborhoods.
7: Barrio Centro is south of 22nd and east of Aviation Highway.
8: Some people might say it's ugly, it's run down, it's ghetto, but this is home. I want to be able to to grow beauty here.
7: We're in the parking lot of the Julia Keene School with another Flowers and Bullets member, Dora Martinez. You can hear noisy cicadas in the trees and the jets from Davis-Monthan Air Force Base.
8: That's why this school is closed down.
7: Tucson Unified School District closed Julia Keene in 2003 because of the noise. This
9: was the neighborhood school. It was also where folks would come and do their voting. Health fairs or health clinics were also held here. It was really a community center and, and kind of the hub.
8: There's no real green spaces south of 22nd Street you'll have more dialysis centers, you have more smoke shops, you have more payday loans, you have more pawn shops. I grew up uh, one of those little knucklehead kids, been down these streets. I just love this place. But at the same time, like I see what's going on, you know, I see what my friends are involved in.
7: Domestic violence, unemployment, drugs.
8: What's in right now is heroin. A lot of my good friends are in prison because of it.
7: Tito Romero says it was the Mexican American Studies program at Tucson High that put him on a different path.
8: We started asking more questions about why the world was the way it was, colonization, oppression, health issues. It showed us a way to like channel a lot of that fear, a lot of that anger, a lot of that sadness.
7: TUSD cut the controversial program in 2012. That same year, Romero and his friend Jacob Robles started Flowers and Bullets. They wanted it to be an art and sustainability collective. So they began with a t-shirt company They silk screened graffiti art onto t-shirts and sold them. And with their first profits, they bought seeds and they planted a garden in Romero's backyard. At that time, Dora Martinez was working as a field manager for Sleeping Frog Farm. So she had expertise growing food in the desert. I was
9: working in Tito's garden and helping him plant some stuff. The neighbors were curious. There's a lot of food insecurity in this neighborhood. They were like, could I have a garden, you know, how hard is it? Um, what would it look like? My yard is smaller. Um, hey, I, you know, I live with my parents. They don't have a lot of space.
8: Food, everybody eats. It was a hook.
7: To get neighbors involved, they worked together to install backyard gardens in one another's yards, and set up rainwater harvesting.
8: I'm empowering my community. I'm showing folks how to grow a sell and, and eat their own food. Uh, how to raise our own animals, how to, how to take care of ourselves, you know, if nobody else is going to do it.
7: Today, Flowers and Bullets has 23 members they are growing 10 backyard gardens. These gardens and animals provide the families with healthy, organic food, and the members can sell their surplus at farmers markets and make some extra money. Martinez says it's raised people's confidence.
9: One of the guys that we worked with said, hey, like, this is exactly what I know how to do. I know how to count. I know how to weigh. I just have to change up the product.
7: He was a former drug dealer. She says some collective members went back and got their GEDs, and some are taking college classes now. But Martinez also cautions that we should not romanticize the work Flowers and Bullets is doing. That former drug dealer, he's using again. We don't have a solution. And, and in fact, we're not trying
9: to present a solution. We're trying to present a space where folks can talk to each other and come up with their own
7: solutions. Flowers and Bullets collective members did a door-to-door survey of their neighbors and they discovered that people wanted more
9: green spaces, a place to walk their dogs, a place to be able to walk with their strollers and, and feel safe. The neighborhood wants a place to convene and have a sense of ownership.
7: So the collective put in a proposal to TUSD. They want to turn the boarded up Julia Keene School back into the beating heart of Barrio Centro.
9: We envision demonstration gardens, healing spaces, art spaces.
8: I want to be able to create more jobs and opportunities for my friends.
7: He got himself elected to the Neighborhood Association Board. At 28, he's the youngest member and one of the few people of color. He just took over as co-chair.
8: I'm a warrior from my community.
7: He quotes a favorite saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Laura Markowitz.
0: Production of Feeding Our Future is made possible with the support of the Zuckerman Family Foundation. To learn more, visit azpm.org and tune in next week for the final episode of Feeding Our Future, Farmers and Markets.
8: It's a pretty big bet
9: to say, oh, we'll just always be able to get our fresh, healthy food from Mexico or California or Florida. We need local agriculture in order to ensure that we have food in this region.
0: Hear about the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona's new program to support local farmers and bring healthy food to more low-income people. That's next week on Arizona Spotlight. Thank you for listening. You can find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.